0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's exciting webinar. I'm Tim Stark and the host of today's exciting event. I'm a professor of civil engineering at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign and technical director of the Fabricated Geomembrane Institute. This is our 10th webinar of 2021, and the remaining four webinars for 2021 have already been scheduled with great speakers and timely topics, and I will show the next webinar on the last slide today. During today's webinar, we really welcome questions and comments which can be typed into the questions box in the control panel. You may send in your questions at any time during the presentation, and our speakers will address them at the end of today's presentation. The recording of this webinar and a PDF of the slides will be made available on the FGI website after today's presentation. PDH certificates will be sent automatically to all who attend the entire webinar so you don't have to send us an email. Okay, today's webinar speakers are, first, Brian Frazier. Brian Frazier is vice president of Layfield Group, and he is responsible for business development in the United States and internationally. Brian has been working in the geomembrane business for 41 consecutive years, including manufacturing, fabrication, testing, and construction. He's written a number of excellent papers on floating covers, which is the topic today. Our next speaker is Doug Hiltz. Doug is the founder and president of Hiltz Consulting Group in Orange County. With more than 30 years experience throughout the U.S. and internationally, Doug is is a recognized technical specialist in the field of reservoir geomembrane floating covers and liner systems. Our last speaker is Rohit Sati. He is a technical product manager with the Layfield Group and member of the technical services group and also a technical product product manager responsible for geomembrane containment projects. Rohit has been employed with Layfield for 16 years in various positions, including engineering business manager, technical sales support, and responsible for product development. The title of today's webinar is Industry Best Practices for Floating Cover Systems. Brian, Doug and Rohit, thanks for squeezing this webinar into your busy schedule and joining us from Edmond Alberta for the Layfield Group and of course, sunny Orange County for Doug Hilts in California. So Brian, take it away. Well, thank you, Doug. It's a pleasure to be here today. As you mentioned, this presentation is on floating covers and the
1: best practices of floating covers. And uh, we'll start off by showing the uh, Los Angeles uh, Eagle Rock Reservoir, mid-size of floating cover, about 370,000 square feet, uh, 45 mil CFPE defined soft cover system. And Doug will be covering some of the design features of the defined soft in this presentation. So, the presentation outline will include a basic introduction on floating covers. We'll also talk about the economics of floating cover systems. We'll look at the key markets and applications where we're using floating covers today. We'll also uh, have Doug cover the main design elements of floating cover systems, including showing different types of designs. We'll discuss the fabrication of covers, let's also talk about construction and maintenance of cover systems. And Rohit's going to wrap up with the material selection portion on uh, floating cover materials. There's many ways of storing our potable water, our drinking water around the world and uh, throughout the United States and North America, we commonly see as in the top left, these steel towers in various communities. The top right, we see uh, steel tanks or concrete tanks to store our uh, drinking water. And in the bottom left actually is an underground reservoir and much of our water in the world is actually stored underground. And the bottom right is an example of a uh, reservoir with a geomembrane floating cover system. The first generation covers were installed in Southern California in the late 1970s primarily used for uh, municipal water, uh, potable water storage. One of the big advantages of reservoirs with floating covers are their excellent economics. They provide a significant reduced cost, capital cost and life cycle project costing to the owner. Examples of this are the Upper Chiquita Reservoir in Santa Margarita at California on your left. This was a large reservoir, about 244 million gallons or 17.8 acres. Project took about a year and a half of construction time. And the total cost, including engineering and all subtrades, construction, etc., uh, came in at a $53 million U.S. and that actually works out to an average price per gallon of 22 cents um, U.S. As comparison, the picture on the right is the Kelly Butte Reservoir. It was uh, completed and commissioned in 2016 for the City of Portland. It was a 25-million-gallon underground reservoir, uh, concrete-lined, took about f- four and a half years of construction time and it came in at $90 million, works, working out to an average cost of $3.60 per gallon. So, you can see significantly more than the Upper Jakita Floating Cover Reservoir. Another good example of that is the uh, Los Angeles Department of Water and Power, their Upper Stone Canyon Reservoir. Again, a good size reservoir at 139 million gallons. Initially, Los Angeles was considering an underground concrete reservoir. That would have been a budget of $140 million and four to five years of construction time. Based on that, they actually ended up choosing a um, concrete reservoir with a floating cover system. That project came in at $35 million and one and a half years' time. So, 25% of the original budget and 25% of the construction time. They also had designed it around a 60-year life cycle which included a cover replacement. And the picture on the right actually shows the upper Stone Canyon. It was a 700,000 square foot, 45 mil CSPE cover installed in 2019. So, in terms of the key functions of floating covers, first and foremost, one of the key functions is to prevent contamination of the water source, prevent dirt and debris from getting into the, into the, into the water. The second major function is evaporation control. Properly installed floating covers can eliminate evaporation. They also can help protect the fluids or chemi- fluid chemistry of the liquids underneath the cover from dilution. They can reduce chemical uh, contact demand or the use of chemical and chlorine in treatment. They also can help maintain temperatures of the fluids, uh, as an example, when we're using our insulated covers. And in that application, they can increase municipal municipal biological treatment activity uh, with insulated covers. We're increasingly using them as biogas covers in anaerobic uh, biogas applications. They've been used for odor control and to reduce algae buildup. And they're also out used to help prevent wildlife or bird migration from getting into process ponds, etc. And finally, they help to increase security. Some of the key markets and applications where we're using covers daily now is in municipal water. Our potable water treatment and storage is a main application. In municipal water, in terms of a secondary treatment, we are using floating covers uh, to help maintain bioactivity, reduce algae and odor control. An emerging market is mining. We're actually using a lot of floating covers to help protect process water and problems with acid mine drainage and metal leaching and things such as bird migration and process ponds. And oil and gas upstream, we're using uh, evaporation control for hydraulic fracturing, as well as in midstream for brine cavern pond storage and protection and various wastewater treatment applications. And agriculture is another good market for floating covers. Uh, Again, biogas capture for the food processors and intensive livestock growers, odor control and evaporation control. And even in waste management, uh, we're using floating covers for uh, helping to pre- protect fluids from dilution uh, during treatment under the cover. So, some good examples of that we are looking at a municipal potable water reservoir. This was a 700,000 square foot defined sump a project we did for Metropolitan Water District, their Skinner Water Treatment. And again, Doug will be talking about more details on defined sump cover systems. This is actually another municipal application, but in wastewater, a set biological secondary treatment. This is a 3.5-inch thick modular insulated polyethylene cover system that we put in four of these lagoons in uh, Lacombe, Alberta, Canada. Further examples of modular covers, the picture on the left is a 7-inch thick insulated clarifier cover for a mining project in northern Canada. And the picture on the right is a fairly standard, what we call two-inch-thick polyethylene modular insulated cover for municipal secondary treatment application for the City of Fruitland, Idaho. As mentioned in mining, we're uh, seeing a lot more floating cover opportunities. So, large cover, 32 million gallon, uh, 45 mil CSP floating cover system. Very aggressive fluids, very low pH levels. They were having trouble with different materials handling the fluids and they had prior experience uh, with this material, and so we put in a liner and a defined sump floating cover system, in again in uh, South Australia. And in oil and gas, as mentioned, uh, we're uh, connected with the hydraulic fracturing, uh, often very high cost of water pipelining. Uh, in places like the Permian Basin in West Texas, we're uh, seeing lots of winds, high uh, arid conditions and significant evaporation losses. So, we put a number of covers in, typically 250 to 300,000 square feet. These were 40 mil polyolefin alloy material, uh, lightweight evaporation covers. And the return on investment on many of these covers was just over one year. As well, evaporation control covers are being used in agriculture. Picture on the left is a 200,000 square foot, 30 mil polyolefin material we supplied the materials and installer actually fabricated these on site and floated this in in a defined sump application. And the picture on the bottom I just grabbed off of public information on Google but this was an evaporation cover in the Central Valley done a number of years ago to help protect, protect irrigation water, Central Valley, California. Reinforced polyethylene and I believe Ben Tarpon lining put this in. And as mentioned, we are increasingly using the anaerobic digester covers, both the negative air and positive air systems. This is a positive air cover system. Uh, places like California are really working hard to reduce their carbon footing footprint, and in this case, uh, California has mandated 30%, 30% reductions in uh, methane producers for. Uh, the dairy industry so the picture on the right we actually see a floating cover system being floated in and the picture on the left we see the biogas cover in positive air application and mentioned as mentioned in waste in the waste industry this was a defined sump 50 mil polyolefin alloy cover we put in uh, Oregon Portland Oregon or sorry in Oregon and of course a very heavy rain area and they're trying to prevent the rain from diluting the fluid chemistry they're treating underneath the cover, defined sump working around various aeration and diffuser systems and a pretty interesting project. So at this point, I'm gonna turn this over to Doug to talk about design considerations.
2: Thank you, Brian. Uh, I'm gonna cover the design considerations for floating covers. First thing in, in design is what are the design guides or codes? There's the AWWA, national AWWA M25 uh, publication. There's also the California Nevada section of AWWA floating cover guidelines. Both of those are more geared towards potable water reservoirs, but there are many applicable parts of those uh, guidelines and codes that uh, would pertain to many floating covers. And then of course there's ASCE 7, which is uh, more of a structural code which would help define some of your loading, dead loads, live loads, wind loads, those types of uh, uh, considerations. A major consideration is the reservoir geometry. Is it a defined uh, shape, a geometric shape? Is it to have well-defined slopes? And uh, the interior hydraulic structures, are they low profile? uh, and, And is the reservoir conducive to a floating cover? Uh, There's operational considerations such as the maximum or high water level, the low water level, does the owner drain it to empty or do they operate within a certain operating band? Uh, The fluctuation intervals, is it maintained at a relatively constant uh, uh, elevation or does the water fluctuate throughout the day, week or even within the seasons? How much freeboard is available for the reservoir? And then also the uh, specific gravity of the contents. In most cases, it's water or some aqueous solution. So your specific gravity is around 1.0, but that's not always the case. So that's uh, another consideration, especially when you're looking at buoyancy. Uh, There's site conditions that need to be assessed. Uh, What are the liner materials? Is it a geomembrane liner, concrete, asphalt, compacted soil? All of those uh, come into play in terms of your material selection and the overall construction of the uh, floating cover. And then your inflow and outflow rates are a a consideration in terms of air that could possibly come into the reservoir and uh, the momentum of the water coming into the reservoir impeding on the uh, floating cover. And then groundwater is always a consideration. And in some cases, you have reservoirs where the floor of the reservoir is actually below or above uh, the groundwater elevation. So, uh, next slide, please. Additional considerations for your rainwater uh, troughs or tension troughs where are the troughs to be located? Uh, are they on the floor, in the corners, in the curves? Uh, The troughs help uh, channel rainwater to the rainwater removal system, and it also provides tension. So with that tension, uh, and it also resolves slack, I should add. Uh, The float spacing is important, and also the tension that's imparted into the floating cover. Certain floating covers have uh, requirements for different types of tension, uh, which is all important in selecting the materials and also the performance of the floating cover. Uh, we need to look at buoyancy. Uh, as the name says, floating cover, buoyancy is an important factor. How much buoyancy is provided at the troughs, the hatches, the vents, and any other appurtenances that are on top of the floating cover? Uh, we talked about codes uh, on the previous slide. Now, talk about loading. We need to look at dead load, live loads, uh, the trough ballast, uh, which provides the tension in the floating cover and also wind, primarily wind uplift. Uh, And this is important when we start looking at inflated floating covers or uh, floating covers at very low water elevations. Uh, Rainwater removal can be a factor. It certainly is a factor in potable water reservoirs uh, to have the rainwater removed within a certain time period to prevent cross-contamination or potential cross-contamination of the potable water contents below other reservoirs, it may not be an issue, and in fact, there are certain covers uh, where you would actually take the rainwater and possibly pump it down uh, below the floating cover. Uh, With any floating cover, it's attached around the perimeter of the reservoir. There's some perimeter anchorage options. You can go with a backfilled trench, whether it be backfilled with soil, slurry, concrete, or you can go with a uh, more robust system where you may have a concrete curb or a dead man and have uh, concrete anchors and batten bars. And then one of the key, key considerations on any floating cover is what's the life expectancy, not only uh, of the material, but also how long does the owner intend to keep this uh, facility in operations? So that, uh, those kind of influence the cost. What I have here is two slides. The one on the left is uh, two slides of improper design. The slide on the left, you can see the slack in the floating cover by the wrinkles and the overall looseness of the floating cover. Uh, the troughs are not fully developed because the floats are touching. And you can see the ponded rainwater on top of the floating cover. The slide on the right, uh, in the background there, you see gas buildup underneath the floating cover indicating there uh, is an inadequate venting and there's no gas removal system. Next slide. Here is a defined sump floating cover, also called a weight tension floating cover, and you can see that by the series of weights and floats that are on the floating cover. Uh, If you can point those out, Brian, the weights and floats. The the weights and floats help form the troughs, and the troughs, as I said earlier, are a means of removing rainwater from the floating cover. It puts tension in the floating cover, which allows personnel to walk on the floating cover when it's uh, full of water. Next slide. Here's a schematic cross-section of a weight tension floating cover and the weight tension floating cover happens to be the most popular and it's also the most versatile type of floating cover. It can fit on many or most uh, ponds that have a defined geometric shape and it's uh Characteristics are there are two floats and a weight. The floats are shown in orange boxes on the floor of the reservoir, and the ballast or the weight is shown in the yellow circle. And they're attached to the top of the floating cover. And this is when the floating cover is installed in the dry. So next slide, please. Here you see the floating, that same schematic with the reservoir in service with, as you can see with the blue water in there, Uh, the weights provide tension in the floating cover and the weights sink and then the floats migrate next to one another or closer together. That provides tension in the floating cover and the tension allows for personnel to walk on the floating cover for maintenance, helps form the channels, that can collect the rainwater and channel that water to the rainwater removal pumps. Uh, From there, the uh, rainwater or surface water is pumped out of the sumps and outboarded the reservoir footprint. With the defined sump or weight tension floating cover, there's no real practical limit to the size of the pond. Uh, We've had covers that are upwards of 40, 50 acres. Uh, There's been feasibility studies of even going much larger than that. uh, I say there's no practical limit. When we talk about weight tension floating covers, here are two examples. The example on the right is a double Y trough. I'm sorry, on the left, the double Y trough. This is less versatile weight tension floating cover, typically with shallower depths, uh, shallower side slopes, and typically we'll have a single trough bisecting the corners. On the right is the perimeter trough or bottom of slope trough where you have uh, uh, troughs that are inboard of the of slope uh, which creates a central plate which basically mirrors the floor of the reservoir. This type of configuration can be used on steeper side slopes and the corners are divided uh, with a single trough or multiple troughs dividing that corner angle so the perimeter trough tends to probably be the most versatile as well next slide here are some cover appurtenances in the upper left is a dewatering sump and pump assembly we have a sump can uh, shown in black there with a square float to provide buoyancy and inside of the black can is a submersible rainwater removal pump the upper right is an access hatch, which has flotation around it, which allows personnel to gather around the hatch. The hatch can be opened and provides access to the contents in the pond. Uh, the lower left is a vent that's used at inlets and outlets to vent passively vent air and also is used to break a uh, vacuum that could possibly form at outlets and overflows. And then most floating covers are designed for inflation. So what we have here is an inflation hatch, uh, which in most cases can be an access hatch that has special provisions to uh, accommodate um, blower fans that would be used to inflate a floating cover. And I'll go over inflation in, uh, in some future slides. Here we have an example, a good design, installation and operations example of a floating cover. This is a defined sump floating cover in South Australia. I call it a good design. If you look at the floating cover, uh, you can see the floats in the troughs. The floating cover is laying flat. There's not a lot of wrinkles, if any. Uh, There's no ponded rainwater. Uh, Just overall a, a very good design and installation. Next slide. This is another example of a good design installation and operations. Brian talked about this one earlier. This is a potable water reservoir, 275 million gallons. Uh, it's 23 acres, 60 feet deep. You can see the floats and troughs uh, throughout the reservoir. This is the bottom of slope or central plate floating cover and they have uh, radial troughs at the corners. To take up the slack that's generated from the corners. Again, the cover's laying flat on the water surface and there's no ponded water on the floating cover. Next slide. The second type of cover, tension floating cover, is a cable tension floating cover. This is a, uh, the main difference here is these types of covers have towers around the perimeter. As you can see on the left side of that perimeter road, uh, they're eight foot, or eight inch by eight inch uh, hollow tube sections. There's a weight suspended in the middle of the uh, tube section. There's a cable that comes out the top and the cable is then connected to the floating cover to provide tension on the floating cover. This is a 10 million gallon reservoir with a uh, CSPE floating cover. Next slide. Here's a schematic of a cable tension floating cover. The towers are shown in blue and weights are suspended in these towers. Coming out of the top of the tower is a cable and that cable comes down and grabs the floating cover and the cable and the hanging weight inside of the tower provides tension in the floating cover to uh, in uh, promote uh, tension in the floating cover so personnel can walk on the floating cover and it enhances the rainwater removal the difference with the cable tension floating cover is the slack that's generated is pulled up slope and there is a fold that's uh, formed at the top of slope Uh, the central portion of the cable tension floating covers are primarily flat without any obstructions such as rainwater collection troughs It's a relatively simple layout and a simple installation. Uh, One of the caveats with that is you need to have a reservoir that doesn't have a lot of water fluctuation. This is an example of a cable tension floating cover. Again, in the picture, the larger picture on the left, you can see the towers that go completely around the reservoir every 10 feet. And then the inset picture on the right shows the towers. You can see the cables come down and grab the floating cover and that is the lip of the fold that's formed at the top of slope. Uh, again you can see the towers in this picture and you can see the fold more clearly at the top of slope. I believe this reservoir had a uh, perimeter parapet wall which it, uh, exaggerated the fold or trough that's formed at the top of slope. Cable tension floating cover some of the advantages Uh, easier cover cleaning and maintenance in that you don't have troughs uh, down inside of the water, although you do have a trough around the perimeter, Uh, future cover replacements can be more economical than weight tension floating covers, Um, and uh, you generally need to recondition the tower Uh, at the cover replacements but many of the components such as the towers and the cables can be reused and the weights you're mainly talking about the uh the pulleys in most cases some of the disadvantages it's a higher initial cost you're primarily paying for the towers Uh, disadvantages it can be difficult to clean the folds at the top of slope perimeter uh, it tends to be a less efficient rainwater removal system because you don't have troughs in the central plate of the cover to help aid and channel the water to the rainwater removal pumps. You have the optics of the towers, and probably the last advantage is uh, they're used on smaller reservoirs, generally less than 250,000 square feet. A different type of application would be evaporation control covers. Uh, These are really a variation on the defined sump floating covers, but they're simplified uh, in the fact that they may use uh, simplified float configurations, lighter weight materials, maybe less tension, less buoyancy. Uh, I say less buoyancy, but you still need a certain amount of tension for personnel access. Uh I think the main thing with evaporation covers is what are the performance of objectives and each site may vary and that may affect the design. Uh, and then the last thing with evaporation control covers, you may allow rainwater to be pumped into the pond rather than pumping it outside of the reservoir like we would ordinarily do in potable water covers. Next slide. This is an example, some examples of evaporation control covers. On the left is a evaporation cover in West Texas. You can see the relatively simple trough layout in the X's. You can see the floats are spaced further apart. Uh, the cover on the right, again, you can see the floats are spaced further apart than you would ordinarily see on a potable water cover. And rather than having a concrete perimeter curb, or a perimeter access road, the cover looks to be buried in an earthen trench. So again, just a little simpler construction and lighter weight materials. Another type of cover is a modular insulated cover or a met cover. These are used to place insulation on the ponds. Why do you uh, provide the insulation? It's to promote treatment processes and maintain pond temperature. So ordinarily you have some uh, biological activity going on underneath the floating cover inside of the pond. So you need to maintain that temperature uh, to promote or maximize the efficiency there. With these covers, you want limited water level fluctuation. Um, Wind uplift could be a vital consideration. Uh, The modules are, interconnected to form the cover and uh, like I said, constant constant level ponds and the uh, modules then are stabilized or held in place by uh, cables around the perimeter that uh, uh, are anchored outboard of the reservoir. Next slide. Some of the advantages of a mic cover, they're really the best way to insulate a pond. Maintain temperature, reduce heat loss and promote the biological treatment process. I think the economics uh, that Brian talked about earlier uh, make MIP covers a a real good option. Uh, other nice thing is individual panels can be changed out because it is all modular. So if you have some problems with some of the panels or maybe need localized access, you have that by removing a panel or two. Um, the panels are joined together by special strength rope and lacing, and uh, these uh, are generally floated on and can be done without draining the pond. Some of the disadvantages are uh, they can only accommodate limited changes in the water level elevation. Uh, they can be higher initial cost and the MIT covers can be very sensitive to wind uplift. Next slide. Here's two examples of a mitt cover. The one on the left, you can see some of of the panels are missing, and that's to provide access to some equipment, Uh, I believe these are aerators that were uh, required in this pond. And then the one on the left, you can see they're installing these covers in the snow. Heat loss, very important here. Uh, So they're uh, uh, floating these panels across the pond without draining the pond. Another type of cover is gas collection covers. And uh, these are typically floated into place. Not all the time, but they can be. Um, With this type of floating cover, pond contents and the cover material selection and compatibility with the pond contents are very important. Safety considerations, because you are collecting gases, typically methane, are very important. The gases can lift the floating cover and therefore ballasts are required to provide uh, resistance to wind uplift and overall floating cover stability. Once you collect the gases, the gases can be used for a variety of different purposes. Go over some of those in the next slide. Uh, These covers can be positive pressure covers or negative uh, pressure covers. The structural design considerations, perimeter anchorage is very important. Ballasting is very important and dynamic loading, such as wind uplift. And then also material uh, uh, strength is a a major consideration. With these types of covers, you can also have sludge generation, which should be a consideration as well. So I talked about what the key gas cover applications would be. Uh, You can take the gas and uh, provide heat, heat a barn or uh, put it in a boiler. uh, you can create electricity from the gas. You uh, can provide or obtain carbon credits by flaring the gas. Also, can be used for odor control, or the gas can be collected and uh, sold to the uh, local utility. Next slide is Brian's. Okay, thank you, Doug.
1: I will. Um Talk a little bit about fabrication. Uh, Typically, the applications of floating covers, there's a lot of movement in the cover system, really requiring that we have a material with very good flexibility and very good fatigue properties. And what I mean by fatigue, the ability to bend thousands of times without causing any problems with uh, lamination or coatings or yielding or tearing the materials. Normally, we prefabricate the liners in our factories under ideal conditions, wedge weld these panels anywhere from 30 to 100 foot length uh, width and, and in different lengths depending on the configuration of the pond, uh, Two to 300 foot panels. And then these prefabricated panels are rolled up um, and properly packaged, put on trucks and deployed to job sites. We also prefabricate many of the components, uh, whether it's the sandbags or the uh, uh, float caps etc uh, everything we can do we prefabricate to limit the amount of uh, construction time and cost and we're involved with uh, a lot of different sizes of installations or construction from very small cover systems to very large civil uh, construction projects installing floating covers there's really two methods for installing uh, floating covers uh, probably the most popular is what we call a dry install and a second is a wet install. A dry install is, is, as mentioned, the most common method, suitable for most size projects, normally doing these for new cover systems or replacement cover systems where we have no fluids in place. And the picture on the top right is is a very good example. It's a dry installation. We have our crews down in the bottom. And you can just see the amount of surface detail with sumps and troughs and and ladders and vents uh, a tremendous amount of surface fabrication required uh, above the cover system. We normally uh, use or follow the Geosynthetic Research Institute GM19A or 19B for field welding and quality control whether it's a reinforced or non-reinforced material. We also uh, closely follow a lot of good installation uh, detail from the FGI website. And the picture on the bottom right is actually a floating cover system being pulled into place. This was a, uh, a brine cavern cap in, in Michigan. We have a leading edge and we're pulling this in with cable systems. And I'll talk a bit more about that in a minute. Again, a, a good example of a dry install was this Upper Jaquita Reservoir. It was a year and a half installation. Again, our crews are down in the bottom. See our trucks up top and the scale of this dry installation and just how much surface fabrication and installation is, is required. This was the Pittsburgh Water Sewer and uh, Utility uh, uh, Landford. it was their trend, twin reservoir, large la- lagoon, uh, large reservoir at 146 million gallons. Picture on the left we're putting in a 60 mil CSPE liner system and the uh, picture on the top right is actually the cover system being installed. And the picture on the bottom right gives you just a better detail of our field technicians welding the flotation systems on a a slope. In terms of the wet installation, again, uh, a little bit trickier and typically used when we uh, we have to keep the pond in operation so we cannot remove the liquids. There are some limitations in terms of size and scale. These are most commonly used with gas collection systems, the modular insulated covers, and these simple what we call simple evaporation covers and the picture you're seeing in the top right is actually a 30 mil um, um, polyethylene cover system we've prefabricated the floats underneath the cover they've unfolded that and then we're pulling this into place we have a reinforced leading edge we have ropes and we're winching this uh, lightweight evapor- evaporation cover system into place Another really good example of this is, uh, this is the city of Ramona and over on the left you actually see the old cover, it was a 30-year-old cover system we were replacing and we were not allowed to let the water touch the environment or air. So basically we had to attach the old cover to the new cover and because there was an irregular shape we we welded in a temporary section and basically pulled the old cover out while we were pulling the new cover system in place and I'll just show a quick video of that. You can see our technicians on the back. We have uh, four or five uh, field operators up here and we're pulling this large prefabricated panel in place with a zoom boom. And this can only be done with uh, large prefabricated materials and again, a good example floating in a in a cover system. And this was the completed City of Ramona uh, tension cable project that we completed in uh, 2020. So, Doug, over to you for inflation.
2: Thank you, Brian. Uh, These are three pictures of potable water reservoirs uh, where the covers are typically installed in the dry, and there's an option where you can inflate floating covers, primarily for the final inspection. The covers are inflated into designated cells to limit the loft and stress in the floating cover. This is accomplished by the inflation hatches where blowers are provided and you blow air underneath the floating cover. Once there's adequate lock, you'd send personnel under the cover looking for imperfections in the geomembrane or other uh, uh, properties uh, that you might find under the floating cover. Cautionary note is the floating cover is very vulnerable to wind in this uh, when the cover is inflated, so you want to make your inflation relatively uh, short duration and is not something you would do on a periodic basis. Um, and really, inflation should only be done by experienced personnel. Next slide. Uh, briefly talk about service and maintenance. I, I can't stress enough that maintenance is an essential component to a successful, long-lasting floating cover, really regardless of the application. If you're looking at a potable water reservoir, a mint cover, evaporation, you need to provide maintenance on your floating cover. Uh, the upper left, you can see crews out on an in-service floating cover. Uh, they're uh, sweeping up debris and uh, picking up trash that may have uh, been deposited on the floating cover. The upper right, you see crews with a fire hose and they're actually hosing off the floating cover. Uh, They uh, hose off the cover, the water goes into the rainwater collection troughs and then that water is directed to the pumps and it's pumped outboard of the uh, uh, floating cover. Uh, Lower right, you see a hatch that is opened. And again, the hatches can provide access to take water quality samples, uh, can be used for venting, uh, general inspection of uh, underneath the floating cover, such as divers. And you notice on the right there, there are divers getting suited up, uh, ready to go onto the floating cover, go through the hatch underneath and do an inspection of the underneath side of the cover and or possibly the liner of the reservoir as well or hydraulic structures that uh, are underwater. So, over to Rohit.
3: Okay, thank you, uh, Brian and Doug. Uh, well, uh, I got an interesting uh, topic to uh, to talk about. Now, uh, there are a number of uh, geomembrane uh, materials used in uh, containment of water and wastewater. Now, use of these materials uh, largely depend on uh, the type and nature of applications. Now, most commonly used materials include, uh, you know, HDPEs, linear low-density materials. You know, these are polyolefins. Uh, you know, like polypropylenes, uh, polyvinyl chloride. Uh, there are some reinforced-grade uh, 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 materials. Uh, you know, of the polypropylene polymer called, known as RPPs. Uh, similarly, you know, there are some reinforced uh, polyethylene materials manufactured in North America by uh, by some of the uh, some of the geomembrane manufacturers here. Now, these materials uh, they exhibit uh, good average properties, and they're used in many standard uh, geomembrane applications. And there are some other set of geomembrane materials, you know, like CSPEs, EIAs. I mean, these materials are designed for long term. Uh, uh, performance Now when it comes to floating covers uh, floating covers of polymeric materials uh, you know have made a significant impact on uh, reservoir and uh, liquid holding facilities. Uh, both Doug and Brian talked about design and construction around floating covers and I will uh, as I said I I'll primarily focus on material selection uh, and design and uh, we'll look at the material selection criteria. So uh, here is our first slide before we uh, talk about the material selection. Here is a slide that shows you some uh, failures, uh, uh, some damage to the, to, to the geomembrane material. The picture on the left is a reinforced polypropylene cover uh, in Australia. As you can see, uh, you know, there's, a, uh, there, there's a huge damage due to tearing and it's probably induced by uh, uh, surface cracking, uh, chemical attack, as well as UV damage because we're talking about Australia. Uh, so climatic conditions uh, matter. The picture in the middle is actually a cover, another uh, reinforced polypropylene cover in North America. This was in New Jersey, where uh, uh, we inspected this cover about two years ago and found uh, these large tears uh, all over the cover. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, we worked uh, closely with uh, the design engineer and the and the, and the facility owner, and uh, now are uh, looking to uh, replace this uh, this cover system. Uh, the third uh, picture on the left uh, shows you, oh sorry, on the right shows you a EIA cover or ethylene interpolymer alloy alloy, uh, alloy cover, and you can see some small cracking uh, in the coating there. Uh, so this is uh, mostly this was mostly evident in. Uh, uh, in the in the wrinkles and folds, uh, and uh, this was also a cover that was uh, in operation for about twelve years. Now, one of the common things about these three uh, cover materials was uh, uh, their exposure to potable water. And when we talk about potable water, uh, we're talking about free chlorine. So uh, that's why material selection is 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 really key. And all these uh, three materials were uh, uh, really uh, inconsistent. And uh, in terms of uh, Uh, in terms of uh, performance, they prematurely fail. So uh, let's look at uh, some of the material selection uh, criteria. The number one is uh, fluid chemistry. Again, uh, as I just said, uh, potable water. Uh, You have to look at uh, the the free chlorine, uh, what concentration uh, of chlorine you have in, uh, in potable water reverse osmosis water, very corrosive. Uh, You've got to look at the liquid chemistry very closely. Same thing with base water where you have uh, uh, ammonia content uh, which can be detrimental to uh, geomembranes. Uh, brine, uh, we have seen uh, some of these applications where brine can be uh, pumped uh, at very high temperatures. Uh, it's important to look at uh, the pH, whether uh, you're dealing with uh, more acidic uh, liquid or uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a basic liquid. Uh, And sometimes, you know, these will all uh, double down on your material. I mean, you know, chemical, UV, I mean, you know, heat, uh, they can really have uh, a combined effect on the performance of your geomembrane liner. We are seeing emerging applications in Europe, uh, uh, you know, where people are designing thermal pits. So it's important to look at geomembranes that can handle uh, those type of uh, higher temperatures. Location and climate is really important. Uh, Brian mentioned about, uh, you know, a few applications where, uh, uh, you know, UV exposure is critical. Uh, You've got to look at ambient temperatures because uh, black geomembranes can absorb a lot of heat and can uh, raise the temperature of the material really quickly. Uh, so, heat stabilization within geomembranes is very critical. Uh, looking at performance properties, now, unlike geomembranes, which are mostly static, uh, floating covers are very dynamic, they're always moving. Uh, you know, uh, and flexibility and fatigue properties are critical. So uh, when you talk about fatigue, it's it's mostly cyclical loading and uh, where you are, uh, uh, you know, where the geomembrane can fail at uh, relatively uh, low, low tensile uh, stresses. <laughs> Chemical resistance, and we'll look at uh, the next slide, uh, same thing with UV and NSF certification, which is sometimes required. Uh, you know, when you're looking at uh, design around uh, floating cover material. So uh, based on uh, our experience, uh, you know, Layfield is uh, in floating cover business for over uh, 40 years. We have installed, uh, you know, uh, over 400 uh, covers, smaller, large and different shapes. So uh, this is all. This this table that you see is basically based on our uh, on our experience, and it's a typical cover life uh, for uh, portable water applications. So if you're looking at a floating cover that's going to last uh, for up to ten years or under ten years, uh, you can look at uh, materials like polyethylene, uh, reinforced polyethylenes, uh, LLDPs, which is uh, relatively flexible. Uh, HDPs can also be used, but again, I mean, stiffer materials are very difficult because, as I said, uh, flexibility and fatigue properties are pretty critical when you look at floating cover materials. Now, when you're looking at, uh, uh, you know, uh, lifetimes extending 10 years up to 20 years, you can definitely look at materials like RPP, uh, but you have to properly qualify them, EIAs, uh, you know, thermoplastic olefins, and there are some alloy materials that can also offer you Good UV and chemical resistance properties, uh, and if you're looking to extend, uh, looking to uh, see like longer lifetimes, you know, for floating our ex- applications. Again, this is purely based on our experience. Uh, and Brian is going to showcase a, a project profile uh, after uh, my discussion here. Uh, now, if you're looking at anything up to 35 years, uh, you know, you have, I mean, CSP is a great material. Uh, is a good material to use. Uh, uh, something uh, uh, for you to to consider. Uh, uh in terms of your floating cover design next slide please uh with regards to uh, material performance testing again um, you know uh, as i uh, as i said before in my previous slide uh, chemical immersion testing is is critical now liquid immersion testing compared to oven aging or uh, exposing the geomembrane to hardware, there is a huge difference i mean we have seen antioxidants leach out in liquid immersion testing Relatively quickly, as you can see, actually on the, on the graph there on the top picture, uh, where we tested the geomembrane at three different temperatures, uh, the OIT is represented on the on the vertical axis, uh, where you can actually see the leaching happens uh, fairly quickly, very steep uh, downward curve there, and then it starts to stabilize. Uh, uh, you know if, uh, as I said, uh, you know you may have to actually uh, create some accelerated environment so that you can actually see the differences between the materials uh, you know you, you might want to to look at environmental stress cracking uh, there 's a lot of uh, disinfectants that goes into into uh, these systems, like you know chlorines, chloramine. Uh, you know, some custom testing is needed to ensure that you have done your due diligence before you, uh, you know, choose a material for a certain application. Uh, again, um, looking at uh, antioxidant retention properties like you know in this accelerated testing we always look at uh, the performance of these antioxidants by looking at uh, oits uh, or oxidative induction times from this material which is basically an indirect measure of uh, uh, antioxidant performance in the material uh, same thing with the uh, uv we can expose uh, uh, these materials to uh to uv light and uh, there are some uh uh, some uh, standards you know which are uh, very stringent and uh, can uh, really differentiate uh, amongst materials manufacturers warranty is really critical uh, you know uh, i mean some of the manufacturers have done all this testing and then they can back up uh, you know their warranty based on the testing they have uh, they have carried out uh, over the years uh, next slide please uh, and uh, you know lastly it's uh, very important uh, to look at uh, look at safety Uh, In terms of uh, in terms of safety, uh, uh, I mean, you know, whenever you are uh, uh, walking on the cover, whether it's inspection, maintenance, or during construction, uh, it's uh, it's really good to. Uh, discuss uh, safety aspect around floating covers. Uh, one of the one of the most important thing is to make sure, as uh, Doug pointed out, you don't want any slack in your covers. Uh, you know, uh, if the covers are nice and tight, uh, it's uh, uh, you know people can walk over them fairly easily. Uh, you just have to follow some of the safety procedures. Uh, a buddy system, uh, uh, you know, is great. Uh, you know, it's a safety management practice. Uh, you know that uh, can actually uh, help uh, uh, safety of each other. Uh, you know, if uh, you're not uh, well experienced with floating covers, make sure that you're uh, designing some wide walkways uh, so that uh, you know you can safely walk uh, on the cover systems. Uh, try to avoid the trough area if you're not uh, really experienced with uh, with floating covers. And with proper equipment, it can be done. Uh, uh, you know, very safely, uh, like you know, having uh, some of the safety ropes uh, uh, at the bullets. Uh, having a floating ring um, just just uh, making sure that uh, you know you are following all the jurisdiction requirements uh, and following all the practice and, and codes uh, Floating vest is important as the gentleman is wearing the picture and then the right footwear is needed uh, to walk on this covers. Having a small safety knife is also a, a good idea uh, just uh, you know from a from a from a safety standpoint thanks Ryan. Thank you, Rohit, and um,
1: I guess we'll just kind of wrap up with uh, one final slide. Um, You know, it it, uh, we are striving to have long-term performance. This is a very good example of of a cover that was uh, everything was done right. This is the Hinkle Reservoir. It's just east of Sacramento, California, and it was installed in late 1979. So it's actually currently 42 years old and still in application. We were asked to do some minor repairs at 37 years, just some welding around some vents, and we actually took some coupons out to help uh, look at the aging of the material. It's a potable water storage, and this is actually scheduled to be replaced in uh, probably 2022 or 2023. At that point in time, this cover will be 45 years in application, close to a half a century. So really to get that type of long performance, a long-term performance, long performance, a lot of things have to go right. You need a very good cover design, you need the right material selection and no different than a vehicle, you need regular uh, service and maintenance. So again, a very good example what the industry can do, uh, this uh, Hinko Reservoir 600,000 square foot uh, project and uh, just a really a bad somewhat faded, but still performing very, very well today. So I think that is it, uh, it's, to our records, it's the oldest floating cover, still an application that we're tracking around the world. So I guess at that point, Tim, will put it back to you for any questions.
0: Great, thank, thank you for an excellent presentation. We have a lot of questions. I'm not sure we're going to be able to get through all of them in five minutes, but let me get started. Uh, what is your preferred number of plies in a reinforced geomembrane?
1: Uh, I'm sure all of us would like to answer that, and um, you know, we depending on really the material type, uh, often uh, you know we only have a, a, you know really a central reinforced uh, scrim in either coating or lamination. We have other materials such as three uh, CSPE that we can uh, double up and, and do a five uh, a five ply product with two reinforced scrims. So. Um, you know, really uh, a lot of different materials can perform well. Uh, the, the key is there's so many different manufacturers, uh, you know, of, of each material. You just have to talk to each each supplier uh, individually, look at their specifications and, and probably look at a track record of their materials being used long-term in, in floating cover applications.
0: Okay. I'm going to bounce around on these questions. We're going to have to have a follow-up podcast. There are so many questions here, but um, here's one. Uh, Can you construct a floating cover in Chile? Uh, In Chile? Yeah.
1: Yeah, Uh, well, we have done floating covers in Chile and uh, uh, materials can be, uh, we've done floating covers around the world. where we've um, prefabricated the materials, for instance, in our California fabrication plants and all the components and shipped uh, skilled technicians to work with uh, local crews. We've also just shipped our materials to site where we prefabricated the materials on site. So uh, these floating covers can be done uh, you know, properly engineered and, and with project management around the world.
0: Okay. Again, I want to try to keep the answer short, get as many as I can get in here. Um, can you install solar panels on the covers?
1: Doug, you want to take that?
2: Uh, it has been looked into. It is possible. I will say, from my experience, I don't think it's very feasible. Uh, found that if you're putting a floating cover on, On a reservoir, it's typically to protect the contents of the reservoir. When you put that much weight on top of a floating cover, you're going to tend to pond water. And so the ponding of water can be contrary to the initial purpose of the floating cover, which is to protect the contents of the the reservoir. In addition to that, it brings a whole slew of additional concerns in terms of personnel on the cover and maintenance uh, with regards to the solar panels. From my experience, it's proven to be more economical to put the solar on land, uh, adjacent land uh, around the reservoir rather than on the floating cover.
1: And I'll just just mention quickly, Tim as as well, Doug is right, but we have prototyped and commercialized uh, PV panels or floating solar panels on insulated covers, uh, like three inch thick insulated covers where we have a lot of buoyancy. The inverters are on land, but the PV panels are on the insulated covers.
0: Great. Um how on the Hinkle Reservoir coupons. How did the coupons that you took uh in thirty-seven years compare to the original design specifications?
1: I don't have that information readily available. The tensile strengths uh remain fairly good, uh, but uh you know it's probably as we start to get to those ages, we're starting to see a reduction in the tear strengths, but uh Someone wants to contact me separately, I can get my hands on that information, but I don't have it in front of me.
0: Okay. Do you always recommend non-accordion folded geomembrane panels for floating covers?
1: Uh, Doug, I'll let you take that
2: one. I think it probably depends on the material. Uh, And do, in the folding process, does it permanently crease the material? Uh, That would be a major consideration not only from the material performance and possible future environmental cracking propagation as a result of that hard crease, but then also for ponded water. Uh, So it is somewhat material driven in terms of if you should or should not accordion fold. I will say the industry trend I think nowadays is to go with rolled materials, but that's not to say that under certain applications accordion folded. may be adequate
0: okay last question then we're going to have to handle all these there's probably about 25 other questions uh are there any issues with ducks and geese on the covers do other animals like muskrats chew through the covers any issues with larger animals deers or bears on the covers
1: i will just say With uh, with with my experience over forty years, I have not seen that. We we do recommend uh, with these sites that uh, you know safety or security fencing is put around the perimeter. Uh, I don't know, Rohit, have you seen anything?
3: Well, we have uh, we have uh, experienced chewing of the geomembrane liners. I mean, for sure. Um, As you said, I mean, you know, having some safety fencing and uh, you know, floating covers are. uh, you know they move, and uh, we don't see like uh, as much critter action as you will see on geomembranes, uh, which are more uh, more static. Um, do you have any comments, Doug? Yeah, I, I mean
2: I've seen ducks and geese, birds, uh, I've seen squirrels, coyotes, uh, an occasional deer. Never seen a bear though. Uh, I, I think the bear would just weigh too much and actually sink. But uh, uh, that's where your fencing comes into play. If you're suspect to uh, animal intrusion, put up a perimeter fence, try and uh, provide some mitigation to discourage the animals from getting on. Uh, put up bird wires too if, they, if you're in a migratory path and uh, the geese, for example, have, uh, have become an issue. So it is something, again, that's a site-specific constraint that would need to be identified and dealt with.
0: Great, Uh, here's the contact information for our speakers on the left, Brian Rohit and Doug's at the top. If you have additional questions, you can mail them directly to them, or we're going to require a podcast next week to answer the remaining questions. So if you have additional questions, you can enter them in the survey that you'll receive shortly after this webinar. Next slide, Brian. Our next webinar is September 30th, Geosynthetics and Stability for Heap Leaching and Tailings Dams. I'm gonna give that presentation and discuss our analysis of the Fundao tailings dam failure. Next slide. Somebody? Trying to get there. The FGI website, you can go to the resources page and the you'll see the webinar li- library and you can download prior webinars as well as this webinar with a PDF of all the slides that you saw today. Last slide. And I'd like to thank today's sponsors of the webinar today, uh, Environmental Protection Inc in Michigan, and of course the Layfield Group in Edmonton, Alberta. Um, Brian, Doug, Rohit, thanks for an excellent webinar and joining us from Edmonton, Alberta, and sunny Orange County, California, Doug. Thanks again.